Welcome to the Lubar Executive Education Podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking about something I hope is of great interest to all leaders, which is when working to solve a business challenge, how do you recognize when you've reached a viable solution? With me today is Tom Kean, founder and managing partner of Enterprise Kaizen, based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Tom has a wealth of experience as a corporate executive working in organizations like GE, Johnson Controls, Tenneco, and Daikin. He's an expert in Lean Six Sigma and works with his team to lead business recovery, turnaround, and transformations. Welcome, Tom. Thank you for taking time to be with me today to share your thoughts and expertise on this topic. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me, Mike. I'm excited to talk about it. Me too. I've done a number of episodes related to decision-making and problem-solving because as leaders, this takes up much of our days and our effectiveness is measured against the quality of our solutions and our ability to get those solutions implemented and embedded into the organization. Let me start off by asking you, where do you see leaders and organizations getting tripped up when solving problems? And how do you recommend people start when they identify a problem or are handed a problem to solve? Yeah, Mike, one of the things that um, I've encountered in my past is what I call the culture of repetitive problem solving, where we seem to solve the same problem over and over again, just at different cycles in the business. So I, I remember seeing this where I actually saw the same baseline and the same target and the same achievement for the same problem three years apart going back 16 years. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, okay, so that, that's not a solved problem if I'm repeating it. One of the places to get tripped up is to not think about what's happened in the past. Like looking at your history is important. And I think a lot of leaders just kind of take of where I'm at and moving forward And I understand that to be, you know, I'm going to power my way through it, but you've got to look back and see how did I solve this thing before and what did I do wrong that didn't sustain it? Because you don't want to repeat that in the future. And understanding that starting off simple is okay. I first need to say, this is the problem I'm trying to solve. There's there's like eight steps that I go through. One is what is the problem I'm trying to solve? Number two is what's the voice of the customer out there? What are they expecting me to produce as results? How do I translate that into critical to quality requirements? Then I map the process so I understand what it is that I can see and what's my input and my output. And then I start to identify the issues with a five why. And that five why is important because that's what feeds my cause and effect diagram, which is the next one. That cause and effect diagram allows me to start identifying the wastes using the eight types of waste and any kind of 5S that I can use to clean up. And then the analysis, my data analysis that says, this is what I see, this is what I can get to, and this is what I'm capable of. And then from that, using the right methodology to solve the problem and then display it into a standardized format. As leaders embark on solving a problem, how can they slow themselves and their teams down so they resist jumping to solutioning and conduct the right amount of due diligence? Yeah, that's the hard part. One thing that I always want to kind of talk to people about is what is your capability? And this falls into how do you recognize, first of all, what your real problem is that you're trying to solve, but then also how do you recognize the solution when you have it? So the capability of your workforce and your company is what's really crucial because once you get to a sustainable solution, you have to have the capability to sustain it. And a lot of times people move way past that and they put the solution in place that they don't have the capability to sustain. 
So the most important thing is to slow down at the beginning and just go, okay, what is the expected output that I can have and can I sustain it? And that's where you really need to focus. Very easy to say, you know, I'm going to jump straight to the solution, especially on the little problems. There's a phrase that goes around in the Lean Six Sigma world for the past 25 years that I've watched. It's called chasing ghosts. You think you have the solution and you, you start using it, but it doesn't work. So then you go to another solution. Let's see if that one works because you didn't really follow a method to get yourself to that solution. That ability to kind of pull back and say, okay, what's my expected output using like SIPOC. Um, in SIPOC, we, in, when I was with GE, we learned it the other way, COPUS, because you have your customer who's expecting something, which is that output, which are the processes that feed that output, and then the inputs to manage those processes. And then what are you supplied with? Now, when you get to the output and the customer, you really got to make sure, do I have the capabilities to sustain it? And focusing on that capability, critical, critical, critical. Couldn't agree more. So after you take the time to determine the problem you're trying to solve, how should people move forward? You know, what types of information should they be collecting? Yeah, so you got that statement. What problem am I trying to solve? Man, that was drilled into us at GE and, and it paid off because that's different than a problem statement or a problem definition or problem background. It is the focus on that is what I'm really trying to solve. I want to figure out exactly what's my output. Now to get that and to understand what the customer's expectations are, you got to go get the voice of the customer. And the voice of the customer means who is it that I'm handing this particular part of the process or the problem to? They're your voice of the customer. And that voice of the customer data then helps you translate into critical to quality requirements. And that's where your first measurements come from is I need to be able to measure what it is that my customer is expecting. So I always use, I'm a, I'm a coffee addict and <laughs> traveling all over the world. I fell in love with Starbucks, not because I just think Starbucks is great, but because Starbucks had the same cup of coffee everywhere I went in the world. So one of the things that you think about is, is it the right temperature? That's a critical to quality requirement on a cup of coffee. I can measure temperature. What's the price? I can understand what my price point is, what my variation around that is. And then what type of coffee? Is it bold coffee or light coffee or decaf coffee? Those three things turn into measurements that I can then put together and say, I have a measurement system analysis that I can use to get those metrics to satisfy what my customer is expecting. That's really step one. Voice of the customer to translation of critical to quality requirements. Voice of the customer information is so important. And I can really appreciate the adding the metrics piece to it. Your example with Starbucks about just their consistency from place to place, regardless of where you are in the world, it means a lot to people. And it's something that you can really gauge how well an organization is doing. Okay, so at this point, you've got your problem identified and you understand the gap between maybe what's happening at the moment and what your customers are looking for. Is it safe to say looking into why the gap exists is next? Yeah, this is where you then translate yourself um, into the five whys. You can either see a 5Y done really, really well, or you can see a 5Y done just because they were told to do a 5Y, right? And those are pretty easy to distinguish between the two. And a 5Y means this happened, okay, why? Well, then that happened, why? Then that happened. But there's another part of that process that people tend to forget, which is start at the bottom of your 5Y and say that why, and say, therefore, I should expect that. Therefore, I should expect that. And it takes you back up the ladder to your very first why. This is a simple methodology. It's a simple tool. 
but yet we don't really give it its proper weight and importance because it then sets the tone and the data that you need at the bottom of each one of those five whys starts to fill in your cause and effect diagram. You have an effect that happens because of this problem and you have causes that are in method or employee or machine or materials and those get populated into that cause and effect diagram. I have seen frequently where people do a cause and effect diagram first, therefore it's just all brainstorming and then they do a five why. That five why is meant to feed your cause and effect diagram. So that's, that, that's the most important part of the second stage of problem solving. Yeah, I've used the Y5 and the Ishikawa for 20 years and really like the way you approach integrating those tools to keep a team from getting lost when they're using them. I do see some confusion when we're teaching that from time to time, and I think you've clarified that really well. What else do people need to do before they start getting into solutioning once they've gotten through the Y5 and their cause and effect or their Ishikawa diagram? Yeah, then that next step is understanding which methodology you should be using. Now, if you're in rapid problem solving, you can follow something like your standard A3 format. Here's my problem. Here are the actions I'm going to go take to test the C in the analysis, if those are correct and it solves my problem and I can sustain it. That's the simple approach, right? But it's at this point after your cause and effect diagram where you can go, what type of problem am I trying to solve? Is it a new problem or an existing problem? If it's a new problem, you're most likely going into some sort of product development or to MADV, you know, define, measure, analyze, redesign, verify, or IDDOV, or the innovation process. Those are for new situations that you find yourself in. And for existing situations, you have the DMAIC method, you have 8D, Kepner, Trago, best business practice sharing. And those all have a specific focus that they use. They're not interchangeable, right? That's why that work at the beginning is so important because it's leading you to the proper methodology. I remember one time someone was doing a problem for accounts payables and they were trying to use a product capability analysis. And I kept looking at him and he's struggling. I said, how long have you been working on this? And he goes, it's been about five months now that I've been trying to use this tool. And I go, well, can you explain to me why you're using a product capability analysis? And he was like, well, my master black belt said I had to use 14 tools in order to get certified, you know, as a black belt. So that's why I'm using this one. I go, but you're, you're not in a product capability study. You're in a process capability. analysis, And they're two different things. And he was struggling so hard. And he goes, yeah, I already did my process capability analysis. And I go, well, what did it tell you to do? And of course he names off the next important steps. And I'm like, so why are you using the product capability? Well, it's just what I thought. Oh my gosh, those things just drive you mad, right? Solve the problem. Okay, don't worry about using all the right tools or satisfying a requirement that came out of nowhere. I wasn't mad at him. I was, I, I asked, I said, where's your master black belt? That's who I want to have the conversation with. <laughs> so getting to that right methodology is, is really important. And I put together an algorithm that people can kind of use to get to that. And it just saves so much time and it really puts you on the right track so quickly. That's a great story. It's, it's interesting how you're talking about using the wrong tools or getting down the wrong track based off of some guidance. And a lot of these tools are designed to get rid of waste. What else can you share about getting rid of waste in a process? The whole lean approach is the elimination of waste, right? And we have the eight types of waste that are identified in 5S, and these are wonderful. Lean also has five principles, value, value stream, flow, pull, and perfection. 
And if you follow them in that order, it actually can be a problem solving methodology for you. The value is what's the customer asking for. The value stream is how do I deliver that to the customer? The flow is how do I get into the point where I can see my defects faster by flowing in one piece flow and then pull. So these are all really important. And if I think about getting into the eight types of waste, that's what we're really going to identify once we start working on that solution. Because lean is time. I understand lean is waste elimination. I've been doing lean for a long time. But what lean does, the end result is time. And what you choose to do at that time is up to you. I can either use it for a cost savings or I can use it for capacity that I can grow my business or innovation to create something new. Understanding how to really look at waste inside an office environment and a manufacturing environment is really because And when you do a value stream map and you see all the connections from the process steps to the information steps, most likely the majority of your waste is inside that. And people tend to overlook that. So as you start getting into problem solving and you identify your process map, and then you want to turn that into a value stream map, that's where you're going to find a lot of your waste is in that information flow. That has to do with communication, the types of emails, the types of reviews you happen on a certain cadence. You have different systems that are trying to talk to each other. So that going through from from the cause and effect diagram into mapping it and then identifying your wastes really help you also pinpoint where's the root cause that I have inside of this that I need to eliminate. Thanks for sharing some of those examples about finding waste in an office environment. I think it's naturally a little easier to find it in maybe a manufacturing environment. You can kind of see where things are held up along the process, but in an office environment, a little harder to see some of that communication right. gaps and uh, some of the time that gets spent you know, moving things around or waiting for things. So as we're moving into kind of solutioning mode, what aspects of solution generation are most important? I I think I'm going to go back to one of the statements I made before, the sustainability factor, meaning what am I capable of sustaining? So if your machine that you're using is only capable of 68% uptime, then finding a solution for 87% uptime doesn't help you, right? If I only have certain capabilities on my workforce and how they're manufacturing the manual parts of it, I can only go to that point. I can work on the processes to improve it but I have to understand what my full capability is. I've been part of projects where like, oh, we wanna figure out the maximum of this thing and that's what we wanna implement. Okay, I want to as well, because that means you know good success for the company, but are we capable of sustaining it with our people, with the skill base? What's our training look like? What's our education look like? What's our learning management system to help people constantly improve upon the skills that they have? And that's what will generate, what is my true target? that I'm shooting for as I'm trying to solve this problem? And most importantly, how do I sustain it and put it into continuous improvement mode? Okay, so now for the million dollar question, how do you know when you're at that viable solution? Yeah, this is the recognition, right? (laughs) And that is the million dollar question. And uh, I always uh, wanted to say, go to a customer or a client and say, okay, give me a million dollars and I'll solve that problem (laughs) because I'll recognize it before you, which isn't true. But that, that recognition is so critical and really recognition has to come from two places. It comes from people where there's an agreement. That is it. That will work. And experience. Well, we did see it before or we understand what all the different uh, issues are that might cause more waste or have more problems. So to be able to recognize it from a people standpoint, a product standpoint, 
and a process standpoint. And that's the lean tool called 3P. Those three things tend to balance. Then you understand that you have your, your solution at hand because that recognition of people, process, and uh, product all come together. Another question I'd like to circle back uh, with you on is uh, there are so many improvement methodologies and problem-solving methodologies available out in the workplace, and it's really easy to get lost figuring out what to use or which tools to use. And some organizations go so far as to adopting some sort of methodology and then confusing their workforce to the point where the investment, which is usually pretty large, is wasted. How do you identify what the right tools or methodology for problem solving you use? And is it possible to use multiple methodologies in concert with each other? Oh, man, Mike, you're really treading all on my uh, intellectual property here. So here's what I've seen. People come in and they say, we're going to be a Six Sigma company. Okay, great. What is what does a problem solution look like from Six Sigma? Is Six Sigma problem solving methodology? Yes, of course. And I go, well, tell me, because Six Sigma is absolutely not a problem solving methodology. Six Sigma are the statistics that you use to analyze and determine where it is that you're at and what your solution is. The methodology that was associated with the deployment of Six Sigma was the DMAIC methodology, define, measure, analyze, improve, and control. That's meant for an existing problem that you have that you're trying to do continuous improvement on. That's probably the most common methodology that businesses say that's the methodology we use. However, if I have a deviation in my process, meaning I operate at five, I've hit five, 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 10, five, five, that's a deviation. And there's a methodology for that called 8D and it was invented by Ford and it's got eight disciplines. That's what it stands for. And that takes you through a different problem solving methodology, which is not the same as the DMAIC, right? And then there's a, I have to create a brand new process or a brand new product. Well, that's the innovation process where I understand how to ideate and how to, you know, analyze what it is my market's looking for. So following the right path to the right methodology is important. Now, the second part of your question was, can I use multiple uh, methodologies? Absolutely. If I'm in a continuous and, you know, production environment, you know, in this account, this, this goes for accounts payables, receivables, payroll. So it's not just manufacturing products. It's any kind of continuous process that you have in your business. And I think about, can I use the 8D to actually bring it back into control? Absolutely. Because I'm deviating away from my target. That 8D has a mitigation, which is the third D that kind of gets you back into control. Uh, the mistake people make is they think that's the end of it and they forget that there's five more Ds to go through, but nonetheless, they've mitigated it. And if that means I'm at the point and I have enough control where I can bring in the DMAIC methodology to solve it, absolutely. So they can play off of each other once you get what I would call in control, not, so, not solved, but your variation's been reduced so you can see the trends and be a little bit more predictable with your data. Before we wrap up, what final advice can you give to our listeners for when they set out to solve the next big problem? I think the, the most important thing is to start out simple. Start at the highest level you can looking at this, at this problem and kind of work your way left and right, meaning what's my input and what's my output. That kind of simple first approach without any kind of bias on what the solution is really is very helpful. We'd love to overcomplicate it and dive in deep and that's what, you know, a lot of continuous improvement people see as job security. They're the only ones that know how to do that. But problem solving is for everybody. At its heart, 
everybody is a problem solver and that's what we do. So we need to kind of make sure that everybody understands how to do that and looking at it simply to start with, which is, am I in control? Yes or no. Is my data where I expect it to be? Yes or no. Is the customer upset? Yes or no. Kind of get your bearings on what do I have in front of me? As you're getting ready to put together a shelving unit, right? You unpack it, you lay it out, you look at the instructions. You just don't start putting stuff together if you don't understand what your end goal is. I equate this to kind of the approach of putting together a puzzle. Step one is look at the picture on the front of the box. That's the problem I'm trying to solve. Then I dump out all the pieces. Those are my components. So do I have the components that I need to solve the problem? Then I need to sort the components. I look at all the edges, colors, so that I have like to like and I can understand what's in front of me. I start solving the puzzle and then it's solved. So that kind of simple approach is very helpful because it doesn't scare anybody off to start with. You start bringing out more complex approaches. I'm going to do this and that. We're going to look at a two sample t-test and a chi-squared test and bye. No, you just lost 95% of your, uh, of your help. So you got to make it simple and keep everybody engaged as best you can. Tom, thank you so much for being a part of the Lubar Executive Education Podcast and providing some tips for tackling all those challenges we're asked to take on. If you're interested in more information on this topic, check out enterprisekaizen.com, as well as the Lubar Executive Education website for custom and open enrollment workshops on a wide range of topics. I'd also like to take a moment and thank our listeners. We wish you the best of luck as you move forward on your leadership journey. Please check back regularly for additional episodes.